This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. Words of integration and guidance, Linda Hogan. There is an art to raking, a very fine art, one with rhythm in it and life. On the days I do it well, the rake wakes up. Wood that came from dark, dense forest seems to return to life. The water that rose up through the rings of that wood, the minerals of earth mined upward by the burrowing tree roots all come alive. My own fragile hand touches the wood, a hand full of my own life including that which rose each morning early to watch the sun return from the other side of the planets. Over time, these hands will smooth the rake's wooden handle down to a sheen. Raking. It is a labor round and complete, smooth and new as an egg, in the rounding seasons of the world revolving in time and space. All things, even our own heartbeats and sweat, are in it, part of it. In that work, that watching the turning over of life becomes a road into what is essential. A reading of scripture from Psalm 123 as rendered by Nan Merrill. To you I lift up my spirit, you who are enthroned in every heart. For as a young child holds tightly the hand of its parent, as those in the throes of disease look to one who brings comfort, so our spirits seek the heart of love, that we might find mercy and forgiveness. Have mercy on us, O compassionate one. Have mercy, that we might turn from our blind and arrogant ways. Too long our souls have been veiled by fear. Have mercy, lead us to the path of wholeness. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew 25, 14 to 30. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them Then the one who had received the five talents came forward bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy servant. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. 
His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. We all have comfort zones within which we operate. My own uh, comfort zone growing up was in being quiet. I was extremely shy. I was so shy that uh, if I looked at someone in the eye or someone looked at me in the eye, if I was, say, at the grocery store, tears would begin to well up in my eyes. Really. I think the last time that happened maybe was ninth grade, but I remember it. So I would look away. Uh, why was I so shy? Well, uh, I, I'm an introvert, I guess, by nature on the, uh, the old Myers-Briggs scale. And, and I think also there was a shyness just from um, lacking self-confidence and not you know, feeling sure about who I was as a person. And uh, so I was shy. So my comfort zone was to not raise my hand in class, um, to not talk to people I didn't know, and even, honestly, talking on the phone made me nervous. Still not a big phone talker, just going to say. If you can text me, though, that's great. And the idea of speaking in front of people made me want to pass out. Really. Well, in college, uh, I was part of a campus ministry that had uh, regular weekly gatherings, Thursday night, kind of a... A worship gathering, and uh, we met in a large lecture hall uh, in the dental school at the University of Michigan. And generally between 100, 150 students would gather for this weekly worship time. And I, I would attend these. Uh, my first few years as a student enjoy just sitting in the back, being with a few friends, being quiet, whatever. But my junior year, somebody said, Brian, would you emcee this meeting for us? I was like, uh, no. <laughs> Let me think, no. <laughs> and emceeing the meeting meant uh, kind of welcoming everybody, uh, you know, leading the group in some large fun exercise, sharing a funny anecdote or two, sort of transitioning between the musicians and the speaker for the evening, wrapping things up, kind of hosting the meeting, right? And uh, this person persisted and said, you're on next week. So apparently they did not hear what I said. 
I probably said it quietly. So I remember being so nervous, I dreaded it all week. I used the bathroom about 10 times in the hour before the meeting started. And um, but then it started, and uh, there I was up front, and uh, said a few things, a couple people laughed. I started to relax. It went okay, you know. Probably if I look back and could see a video of it, I would cringe a little. But, but in the end, I kind of had fun, and it wasn't a disaster. And I ended up emceeing that weekly meeting my entire senior year and began to enjoy it and began to discover, actually, I didn't hate this. And actually, I enjoyed it a little bit. And what helped that happen was that someone saw something in me that I didn't see in me. And somebody said, no, you can do this. And they pushed me to take a step I probably would not have taken on my own. And they pushed me out of my comfort zone. And I bet you have a story where someone saw something in you and said, you know, I think you'd be really good at this. Someone who helped you discover a gift or gifts that are with you. And so sometimes a push out of our comfort zone is exactly what we need to push us to a new place to discover gifts that maybe we didn't really even know that we had. Well, our text today is a classic one, the parable of the talents. And we nearly always read this as an analogy for using the gifts that God has given to us and using them in a way that is faithful and um, and will be celebrated for being good and faithful servants, like the first two servants. And not wasting it, like the third one, who just said, uh, no thank you, God, I'm just going to kind of not do anything. And I think the fact that the word talents is used in the text helps uh, encourage this translation or this reading of the parable. <clears throat> and so we don't typically read this parable literally, but rather spiritually. And such a reading encourages us to use the gifts that we've been given. And I think that is a beautiful reading, and I think that there's much we can learn from reading it in that way. But as I've studied this parable a bit more, I've discovered that perhaps, as we've discovered with a few other parables, there might be another way to read this. And we shouldn't be so quick to dismiss what's actually happening in the story as Jesus tells it. And it's helpful to recognize right off the bat that a talent is a unit of money. So some translations will translate this as bags of gold rather than talents, and then it's a little more explicit. And so a talent here does not refer to the ability to play the flute or speak in public or hit a baseball or talents like that. It's talking specifically about an amount of money. And we'll look at how much in just a second. And much like the parable uh, of the laborers in the vineyard, we are sort of programmed to envision, as in that parable, the master, uh, the owner of the vineyard, and in here, the master, the man going on a journey, we're sort of trained to read this as a, a God representative, a God figure. And in the parable of um, the laborers in the vineyard, there are laborers who are hired at the beginning of the day, middle of the day, the very end of the day, and they're all paid the same. And we're trained to read that as God's mercy is equivalent. right? No matter what point in our lives we come to faith, God's grace is equal to all of us. But then we looked a little deeper and thought maybe there's a way to read this that actually this owner is kind of a 
guy who's shorting his laborers and taking advantage of the labor market and so on and so forth. And I think similarly here, uh, we might want to look a bit deeper at who this person is. And we assume when he rewards the first two servants and severely criticizes the third that these actions are justified. We discredit the third servant's words, right? He's acting out of fear and laziness, and he's rightly chastised. But should he be? Should he be? And who is this man going on a journey that Jesus begins the parable telling us about? Well, it's helpful to think about the amount of money we're talking about here. It says the first receives five talents. Well, how much is a talent? Well, a talent is about 15 years wages of a laborer's wages. 15 years worth of money. That's one talent. This first guy gets five talents. So if you do some math, that's 75 years worth of a laborer's wages. A lifetime. Or more than a lifetime, right? In that age. And certainly. Certainly. And if we just kind of try to do some numbers to make it make sense in our day and time, let's say um, today that let's say a laborer would make between twenty-five and thirty thousand dollars. Let's just say, for the sake of argument. Um, over seventy-five years, that comes to two million dollars. Two million dollars. So that helps us realize the scale of the amount of money this guy is entrusting to this first servant. And the second servant gets two talents. Is that right? Three talents. Two talents. So that'd be 30 years. 30 years worth of earnings entrusted. And the last one, 15. And that's nothing to sniff at either, right? And so it is an exorbitant amount of money. And who would be in such a position to entrust this kind of capital to a servant when no doubt this is but one part of a larger estate? This would be a very elite, uh, wealthy person. When this parable was presented to peasants in Nicaragua, their instincts told them as they read this that the master is an exploitive capitalist or perhaps an absentee landlord who bleeds the land dry. But it turns out that the priest who was presenting this parable to them was uncomfortable with this reading and kept leading them back to a more spiritualized reading that we're more familiar with. But I think there's something in those insights uh, that we might want to pay attention to. And so a householder or aristocrat uh, would seek often to expand his accumulation of wealth by entrusting significant portions of it to what's, what was called retainers. Retainers. And retainers were sort of these middlemen who would take this money and try to increase it, as the story tells. Often they would increase it by extending some of it in, in loans to farmers, often non-well-to-do or peasant farmers. And they would do it at a high interest rate, 60% interest rate, or maybe even higher. And what would happen in this case is if the crop came in, okay, they could pay it off. But if the crop, if it was a bad crop year, they would have to default on those loans, and the collateral would be the land. And so their wealth would increase through extending their land holdings. And so these were not household slaves or servants, even though the story renders them as servants. Uh, and perhaps the word doulos, which is servant or slave in the Greek, is there to emphasize their dependence on this wealthy master. 
And so when they heard this parable, again, these Nicaraguan peasants uh, characterized this as a very ugly example of exploitation, of speculation with money. And it seems likely, says William Herzog in his astounding book, Parables as Subversive Speech, Jesus as Pedagogue of the Oppressed, that Jesus' hearers would have had no difficulty identifying the characters in this story. They would have known who these retainer types were because they would have dealt with them and they would have seen the impacts of this kind of work in their own villages, their own families, and they would know this story and what was happening there. They would know the economic game being played by an oppressive elite against an oppressed rural population. And they could no doubt sort of fill in the gaps as Jesus is telling the story with a hundred different examples or anecdotes from their own lives. So they probably wouldn't have been too sympathetic with any of the characters in this story. So the first two retainers do what such individuals usually do, right? They work the system, make the acceptable profit, and receive praise from the master. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Well, Herzog notes that the praise offered here actually mystifies the ugly realities suppressed beneath the profit margin and the way in which they could actually make this 75 years worth of wages actually double, which is pretty amazing. And so here is where the third servant becomes interesting in the story. He acts somewhat unexpectedly. He refuses to play the game. He refuses to endorse the ex- and, and exploit uh, the productive labor of others. And he names the master for what he is, which is always kind of a sticking point in our traditional reading of the parable. The way that he responds to this master, who we assume represents God. But listen to what he says again. Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you did not scatter seed. In other words, you're making money on work you're not doing. He says, so I was afraid, and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But notice the master never denies the charges. In fact, he just about acknowledges that the servant is correct in his assessment. He says, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter. You wicked and lazy slave, then you ought to have at least invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. Right? Notice he's still worried not about the well-being of the servant, but about the bottom line. How can I increase my own holdings? Then he says, so take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten talents. And then it says, for to all those who have, more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken from them. Sounds like a line directly out of the gospel according to capitalism. Doesn't it? When you hear it, With this background and in this light, it's like, oh, wow. Yeah, that doesn't sound like something God would say. Those who have are going to have even more. Those who have nothing, sorry, it's going to get worse. 
It's brutal when we read it in this light. And then he ends the story, this master saying, as for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And if you think about it, this servant, by saying what he said, by naming what he named, he's risked everything. And now he is out of a job, the job that he knew. And he's going to be seen as a sellout by his associates, right? His colleagues and the people under him, many people in typical villages in ancient Palestine, they're not going to embrace him either because he's done damage to their, their own lives and livelihoods. So sorry, fellow, you're out on your own. He's going to be out literally weeping and gnashing his teeth and thinking, you know, I feel like I did the right thing, but what do I have to show for it? And so just as today, when people in power are questioned or accused, what's the first thing that happens? You discredit the person who is naming it, right? If someone, a little person, says something and there's powerful forces being named, the first thing isn't the powerful person to say, oh, you're right, I should repent or pay for what I... No, it's look at this person and all the things they did wrong. We can't believe what they're saying. They must be wrong somehow. Let's dig up some dirt on them. And so in our story, having spoken the truth, the servant must be vilified, shamed, and humiliated to discredit his words and that they won't carry any weight. So who is this third servant? He's a whistleblower, right, in today's terms. He's a whistleblower. In his assessment of the master, he's exposed the sham of what has transpired and placed it under the light of prophetic judgment. And rather, when than the traditional reading, right, where we read this third servant as an ungrateful, lazy dope, right, who doesn't know what's good for him and the master is right to kick him out. No, this guy is the hero of the story. He's the hero of the story. By digging a hole and burying the aristocrat's talent in the ground, he's taken it out of circulation, and so it cannot be used to dispossess any more peasants from their land. And he realizes that he'll pay a price, as we've said. He's going to lose his own modestly lucrative position, but he's decided to accept the cross rather than continue to participate in further exploitation. He steps out of his comfort zone, knowing the risks that are going to be entailed. So maybe more than uh, a story only about using the gifts that God has given us, perhaps it's a story celebrating using those gifts, but using them in a way that is for the good of the whole and using them in light of the virtues of honesty, courage, selflessness, a passion for justice. Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice for they will be filled. Yet the road for a whistleblower is rarely an easy one. You can see the recent examples of Chelsea Manning and Edward Snowden as examples. Or consider the case of Ramin Purindarjani. He was an Iranian physician who reported on the state use of torture on political prisoners in Iran. They were unjustly and perhaps against their own laws torturing political prisoners. Well, he himself died of poisoning shortly thereafter. 
whistleblowers typically shed light on abuses done by those in power and authority. And when they don't want those actions to be seen or discovered, right, they retaliate. They retaliate by harassing, discrediting, sometimes even more extreme, as, this, as in the case of this Iranian physician. Kathy Harris is an African-American woman who worked for years for the United States Customs Service, primarily at the Hartsfield International Airport in Atlanta, Georgia. And Kathy began noticing that black travelers, particularly women, were often receiving unfair treatment. Treatment that amounted to harassment and humiliation. And this was in the 90s, so this was before September 11 and some of the uh, travel inspections that happened as a result of that. But she noticed that African-American women would often be unnecessarily frisked, that they would have invasive body cavity searches that they would have abusive pat-downs, illegal racial profiling. Sometimes they would be taken to a restroom and forced to defecate publicly. They would be detained for hours, sometimes days, sometimes even taken to a local hospital, held against their will, not even realizing what are they there for. Well, in 1998, she spoke out on this. And as a result, she of course, received harassment and threats. She was forced out of her job and was given 15 months of unpaid stress leave, during which time she lost her house because she couldn't pay the mortgage. But in her case, she had done her homework. She had enough documented evidence. She had some legal minds on her side, and she filed a lawsuit against the US Customs Service and won. And she actually got her job back which is pretty amazing, pretty amazing. And a couple of reforms were put into place due to her work. The Civil Rights for International Travelers Act and the Reasonable Search Standard Act uh, both passed shortly after her efforts. And today, Kathy's a several time published author and she speaks on encouraging people to be empowered, to be empowered to educate and inform themselves on how they can use their gifts to stand up for themselves and for what is right in our society. A powerful picture, this woman taking on the powers that be through courage, selflessness, honesty, a passion for justice, and being willing to risk everything against a system of injustice and showing that change actually can happen. And she, too, stepped out of her comfort zone, knowing the risks entailed. And I have no doubt there were people in her life who encouraged her, who supported her, who were there for her and said, I know you can do this. And we know plenty of abuses are still happening. The stories of sexual harassment and assault that continue to come out every day are heartbreaking. Immigrants today in this country are being unfairly detained and held in unconscionable conditions. Racial profiling is still rampant, particularly among communities of people of color. Tax plans are being passed that benefit the very wealthy at the expense of the poor. Pipelines are leaking oil. So the opportunities are there for us. 
in these and a thousand other ways. There are opportunities for us to stand up, to speak out, to do something, and to risk something. To risk something like Kathy Harris. To risk and help empower people to imagine their lives in a different way. To say life doesn't have to be the way it is right now. And so justice is not just about calling out what is wrong in the world. It's about living into what is right, what is beautiful, what is true and good, and what is for the flourishing of each and every person. The Dalai Lama said, People were created to be loved. Things were created to be used. The reason why the world is in chaos is because things are being loved and people are being used. I found that on a meme, but sometimes memes are true. You know, We share them for a reason. And the signs of hope are there. We just elected our first ever transgender legislator. Danica Rome, who said, no matter what you look like, where you come from, how you worship, who you love, how you identify, or any other inherent identifier that you have, you should be celebrated because of who you are, not despite it. God invites us to help bring into being a world where every person can flourish. And I have no doubt that every single one of us has gifts that the world needs us to use. Is there something you've been thinking about doing but just haven't? Take that risk, take that step, and have your eyes open to see the gifts around you. Because sometimes your word to someone else is exactly what they need to see something, to discover something in them that they didn't know was there. And so today we have celebrated, we've given thanks for the gifts that we share in this community and beyond, and I have zero doubt that there is more to come. Amen and namaste. to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Holland Area Arts Council in downtown Holland. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.